All right. Uh, welcome, everyone. My name is Sam. Uh, I'll be bringing you the word this morning. Uh, welcome along to church. The sauna is free, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we have a three-week series to kick off the year, and we're just looking at three big questions. Why am, uh, who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Uh, and then the rest of the year, we'll be preaching exegetically through the books of 1 and 2 Peter. So that is how we're going. We've got three weeks, and then we're going to be working through 1 and 2 Peter. Now, just to begin this morning, I want to tell you that the message this morning is going to be fairly bleak and heavy. Very bleak and heavy, uh, at least at the start. It's like, I don't know, you're a Broncos fan looking ahead to 2023, right? Bleak and heavy, but... Um, the rest of the sermon will be hope and joy-filled, so just hang in there and we will get through. All right, let's begin. Identity has become a confused, messy topic over the last few years, has it not? Not that long ago, over 20 years ago, for those of us who remember, identity was very different. You were simply born, male or female, given a name, grew up, got a job, became a mum or dad according to your gender, and these were the things which we discussed very quickly about identity. When I was growing up, we didn't even talk about big topics all that much. Politics was something that people kept personally to themselves. Religion, apart from pushy Christians, people pretty much kept to themselves. Uh, right? We, the, these identity things weren't talked about all that much. Someone met you, they could tell you gender straight away. They would ask you your name. They would follow it up by asking what you did. Then you might have a chat and find out if you had any children. Uh, and boom, there is your identity. Simple, straightforward, good times. Now, we're not putting gender on birth certificates because we don't know how they are going to identify themselves when they grow up. They may be a chest-feeding, birthing parent who's pangendral. Now, that's a fact, right? This is what we're now saying. That's how they might identify. They probably won't have a job because they're going to want to be an influencer. And so you're not even going to have that as a means of identifying them, encouraging others to a life of self-worship, which is what influencers do. So the question is, what happened? How do we go from such a simple understanding of identity to this mess we're in? Now, I'm about to give you a very quick superficial history lesson, and some of you will like that, and some of you are like boring. Uh, well, suck it up. All right. So what happened? How did this occur? Well, there was this thing called modernity, and this is a very simplified version, but modernity basically said this. Through science, through logical thinking, through the progression of technology, we are going to solve all of societal ills through human wisdom, human skill, science, technology, as I said, right? So basically, they used to put out 1950s kind of era, they would put out little uh, pamphlets and posters which would say, by 2023, we would all be working one hour a week, right? We would all have endless leisure time. Every ill will be cured because of science and technology and this was the idea of modernity. And of course, then we got to the 20th century and we figured out all we really knew how to do was invent 
more rapid ways of killing one another. Right? So that's what we did. World War One, World War Two, Vietnam. We go through, and basically, technology and science didn't produce the outcomes that we thought it would. And so we moved to what is called post-modernity, so after the modern era. And what did post-modernity say? Well, post-modernity said the problem was we all clung to these truths like they would solve every ill. So the answer is, is to reject all truth. There is no such thing as truth. There is no meta-narrative, no arcing story to our lives. If we just reject all overarching story, if we reject all truth and simply say, your truth is your truth, and if you're true to yourself, that is the answer. Then you'll be happy, then you'll have meaning, and that is what we need to do. And so we began to deconstruct truth and replace it with feeling. Whatever I feel like, whatever I desire is truth. And no one has the right to confront or interact with my truth. This is how we've ended up with safe spaces on universities. Because if somebody says something which hurts my truth, my understanding of my feelings, then that is an attack on my truth and my identity. Because my identity is my understanding of my truth. No big picture, no big story, no ultimate truths. Whatever I subjectively decide is truth should not be hurt or attempted to be hurt by anyone else. So where's that got us to? Well, obviously, that's led to the kind of state we're in, like I mentioned at the start, with this gender fluidity. Because there is no truth, we can ignore the reality of gender and sex, and instead, we're free to say whatever we like. And society claps and cheers along because there is no objective truth. There is only what people perceive as their own truth. So therefore, that's why we clap and cheer along, because you decided it's true, therefore no one has the right to argue. From a Christian point of view, I would view this very differently, however. Romans 1, 24 to 25 says this. If this doesn't sum up our age, I don't know what does. Romans 1, 24 to 25. Therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their heart to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forevermore. They worshipped what was created instead of the Creator. And that is what we have done as a society, is we have said the creature, the, the one that was made, us, is the only truth. We reject God and we put ourselves in his place, and this is the mess that we have made. I want to talk just briefly about one consequence of this mess in one small group. Gender dysphoria was a rare psychological condition that basically impacted a small group of men. That was gender dysphoria, by and large, as long as we have known about it. Now it's exploded up over a thousand percent with teenage girls. Why? Because we've jettisoned truth. 
At the same time, we've embraced social media and the pressures and the sexualization and the pressure on image and, and having to look a certain way. And all of that weight is thrown on young shoulders that were never designed to carry it. And it has them looking for a way out. And the promise of this age is you can be whatever you want. And if you want to be free of the weight and pressure, then therefore you can decide you're something else as your way out. But of course, it's all a lie. And if you've ever watched some of these young women who have grown older and now regret the decision and have to wrestle with the fact that they can't have children, they'll never breastfeed a baby. It's truly heartbreaking to watch because they were sold a lie. If you want to get into it, Abigail Schreier, who has degrees in philosophy and law but works as a journalist, she wrote a great book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And basically what it looks at is the same high-anxiety girls that used to suffer from anorexia, cutting themselves, multiple personality disorder, bulimia, those same girls are not doing that now. Instead, they're transitioning, right? It's the same group, but instead they're transitioning. You want to know how strongly this works? The rate of this transitioning haps in groups of girls at 70 times higher than the normal population. 70 times higher. In other words, a group gets together and this pressure builds together and the answer comes together and the group kind of begins to force the pressure. This is a real unfolding tragedy. Well, I want to tell teenage girls and I want to tell teenage boys and I want to tell men, women, children, there is a way out of this mess. There is hope and there is an answer and it does come from truth, from the only truth, from the objective truth of God's word to anchor your life on. The reality is you are made in the image of God, male and female. He created us. He wove you together in your mother's womb to make you exactly who you are by the plan and will of God, made with purpose, made with direction, and made with love. God made you in His likeness. And if you would repent and put your faith in Him, He will give you an identity as a child of God, which will free you completely from worldly pressure to conform. Romans 8, 5, and 6 is our core passage this morning. Romans 8, 5, and 6, if you have your Bible there. If you held a gun to my head and said, Sam, you're only allowed a couple of chapters of the Bible for the rest of your life, what do you pick? It'd probably be Romans 8 and 9. So, uh, you know, this is just core, central stuff. So, Romans 8, 5 to 6. For those who live according to the flesh... Have, set, have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. 
Now, the flesh in Scripture is the sinful self. It's the self that wants pleasure, purpose, direction, and identity outside of God. Right? It is the self that has rejected God and wants all of those things by your own self-determination. This is what the flesh puts forward as the goal of our lives. Just please yourself and everything will be great. That's the flesh nature, but what it doesn't tell us is if you go down that path, well, we're all born down that path, you become a slave to the flesh, you are a slave to the flesh, to the world and to its ideals. Its core tenet is if you focus on self with single-minded determination, you will be happy. Instead, the cost of slavery to the world and its desires is very great. Think about it. What you're wearing right now, why that and not something else? Because the world appeals to our flesh through a celebrity or peer pressure and it makes us want to buy or look a certain way. Why that look, that makeup, that style on Instagram, Snapchat, etc.? Because we feel pressure to look the way the world wants us to look. Why do you get drunk? Why do you smoke? Why do you starve yourself? Why do you hide your faith when you should speak up? Why do you lay awake at night stressing about things like likes on a photo? Because the flesh craves the world's opinion. You don't decide and rule the flesh to make you happy. The flesh makes you a slave to its desires, and you spend your life trying to meet them and feeling the weight of pressure and stress that comes with it. Why is it in this world are so many so keen to affirm this whole transgender movement when we know clearly it's wrong? Because we feel pressured by the world to follow its whims and desires. Even we can look at the evidence and see just how many young people it's harming, we still want to live by the world and its desires. The result of living according to the flesh was in the passage we just read. The mindset of the flesh is death. Now, Death here doesn't just mean that one day you will die and you will go to eternal death, separation from God in hell. It does mean that, but death here means more than that. It means the mind and life of the one who gives themselves over to the flesh, their life is already a life of spiritual death. Their life is already a life of death to the kingdom of God. It's not simply the future event that will take place, but it's at this moment. We are dead to the things of God, dead to His purpose, dead to His plan, and dead to the joy He would offer. Right? That is what it means. But the moment we repent and believe, the moment we put our faith in Christ alone and are born again, the Word says we die to the flesh and its desires, and we gain a new life in Christ with Him as our Lord and King. We die to the world and live to Jesus, and they are directly opposed to one another. 
Right? This is what it means to become a Christian. You die to the world and its desires because the world used to be your ruler and you were its slave, but you died to that life and you rose to a new life with Christ as king, living in his world for his desires. Right? You can't be in both worlds. You are one or the other. Right? This is what it means to be a Christian. I was in uh, West Africa once. And the way they would eat in this country is they would all sit around one big bowl. It'd be full of rice. In the middle of the bowl, there was the meat. The oldest woman sitting around the bowl would distribute the meat in front of the various people, and that's the only meat you got to eat. She would sit there, eating with her right hand, and literally licking her fingers, and then grab your meat and put it in front of you. That's a little gross to me. Like, if I go around to your house for a meal tonight, I don't expect you to be going, hi, Sam, there you go. Right? You just don't think that. Why? Because we live in a different culture. We have a different understanding of how we should eat a meal. Over there... They just had a different culture and a different way of doing things. And I happily ate. And I ate for two reasons. One, because I realized I was in a different culture and they did things differently than I did. And I didn't want to give offense or be rude. Secondly, I was trying to get to know them for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And a little weird eating style is a small price to pay for a chance to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? So I didn't really mind. I was also wearing African clothes, using Mandinka greetings uh, when I was saying hello to people. Why? Because I was in a different culture, under different rules, trying to fit in. Now we get that. We do it all the time. You act differently in a classy restaurant than what you do when you're getting a bunning snag on Saturday morning, right? We change and adapt to the different situations. But what the Bible is talking about here is much bigger. Because we're not only attempting to change to fit the new kingdom, you are fundamentally changed. I'm not an Aussie wearing African clothes attempting to understand a foreign culture, but I'm, culture, but I'm born again as a natural citizen of the new kingdom adopted into the royal family and no longer a citizen of this world. I belong now in character by the work of the Spirit, by who I am by uh, adoption. I belong now in the family of God and I fit the culture of the kingdom. And I begin to live it out. What does it mean? For those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. This means, rather than thinking about oneself, the world and its desires, we are concerned with and concentrating on the things of God and His desires. We are continually delighted to be thinking about His Word his commands, and his will. We seek to know him, glorify him, honor him, 
with our lives filled with the Spirit of God, both through His indwelling and our constant attention on Him, the more we focus on Jesus, the less we focus on the world. So we can join with Paul in Philippians 3 saying, I count all as loss compared to knowing Jesus. Right? I, I count the world and its desires lost. It's all gone compared to knowing Jesus. What does that mean? Quick summary for you. I love this. This is from John Piper. Four points he, he explains this with. Renouncing all, counting all as loss, means... If we must choose between Christ and anything else, we will choose Christ. Renouncing all, counting all as a loss, means that we will deal with everything in ways that draw us nearer to Christ so that we gain more of Christ and enjoy enjoy more of Him by the way we relate to everything. Three, renouncing all, counting all as loss, means that we will seek to deal with the things of this world in ways that show they are not our treasure, but rather Christ is our treasure. Four, renouncing all, counting all as lost, means that if we lose any or all of the things this world can offer, we will not lose our joy or our treasure or our life because Christ is our joy and our treasure and our life. How good is that? We can lose it all, but we don't actually lose it all. Why? Because Christ is your treasure. Christ is your joy. Christ is your life. Conversely, the world isn't your treasure, isn't your joy, and isn't your life. Now, it sounds a little heavy, maybe, counting all as loss, but back in Romans, what was the result? The mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Life in the kingdom with Jesus face-to-face, eventually, sure, but life now with Christ, life and peace. Why does surrendering our, well, dying to this life in the world and instead taking up our life as a child of God in His kingdom result in peace? Because we are set free from the pressures and the stresses of the world set free from trying to meet its expectations, set free from viewing the world as our judge, to knowing Christ as our judge, and He declares me righteous in Christ. You know, as I said, when I was in West Africa, one of the things I had to do was put my watch away. I'm hyper-punctual. Who agrees with me on this, by the way? I do want to show hands on this. Early is on time, on time is late. Come on, I know you... You're my people. You actually, you're the godly ones. Anyway, no. Um, might be going too far. Anyway, the problem is I got to Africa, and if you're the only person wearing a watch, it's as good as useless, right? It's a decoration. If you're the only one who has one on, the only possible thing it can achieve for me is for me to get stressed about time that nobody else is keeping. So I got there, and very quickly I had to take it off and throw it in my bag and not pull it out again. I had to let it go. The reality is, once you are born again, as a child of God, Christ as your Lord, you die through the desires of the world, and you must let them go. Think about this. Why is it peace? One, looks and appearance 
have no meaning because God looks at the heart. Think about how freeing that is. Looks and appearance have no meaning because God looks at the heart, right? In other words, you won't impress Jesus by getting the latest Instagram makeup look going on, right? That's not what he's searching for. He's looking for a heart that humbles itself before him. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with dressing fine and looking good for your husband or wife. These things are fine, right? But they don't become the focus of our identity or being because we have Christ, and Christ says, you're mine as you are. I made you. I knit you together. I designed you the way I wanted you. Now glorify me. has no meaning in the kingdom. Being great and popular has no meaning because first will be last and last will be first, and the greatest among you must be the servant of all. Doesn't matter whether you're popular. Doesn't matter if people bow down to you. Doesn't matter if you've got 50,000 employees working under you. It doesn't matter because Christ says, are you serving all? Because that's the only way to be great. World standards gone. Gone. You're set free for them. Because Christ wants you to be humble like him. What brands you have or don't have has no meaning because Jesus says, why worry about what you will wear? It's unimportant in the kingdom of God, right? doesn't matter to Christ. And if I am his and he has redeemed me and I will be with him forever, he's not going to stand at the door to heaven saying, mm, was that an op shop item? Right? No, these things are meaningless in the kingdom of heaven. Money. Money cannot buy you God's favor cannot earn you respect in the kingdom of heaven. There will be many millionaires and billionaires on the day of judgment who will here depart from me. Money can't buy you into heaven. It might buy you favor in the world and its desires. It won't buy you favor in the kingdom of heaven. We are set free from the world and its desires. Instead, we have to live a life of honor to our King Christ, and he has already said, because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, you are mine, your debt has been paid, you will be glorified forevermore. Right? We live in a state of already having been approved, and now we simply live in the joy and thankfulness for Christ who did it for us. And here is an amazing joy. The church is the gathering of the people who are born again of the new kingdom. This is what the church is. The church is the gathering of the people who have died to the world and its desires and now live for the rule of Christ, our King, and His desires, which means the church is the place free of those worldly pressures and desires. The church is a place where we get to experience and begin to taste and see what it looks like to be in a place that isn't judged on the externals, that isn't judged by the world, that isn't judged by its pressures, but instead is is, uh, about living for the glory of Christ. That's the church. Hallelujah. Right? That's why in the church we get such a weird bunch of people and we all get together from really different backgrounds Different types of people who in the world could not, would not be friends. And we love one another. Because we're citizens of the new kingdom, adopted into the family of God. And we love one another. That's the church. That's what the church is. 
Now, I'm not naive enough to think it's always like that. We all fail at times. The habits of the old kingdom, the old flesh nature, sometimes drag us back in. But through repentance and forgiveness, the rule of Christ is seen in the church, and we experience love, grace, forgiveness, correction, rebuke, and acceptance. And that's the peace of God. So here is the way to peace, church. Here is the way to rest. What is the old identity of the flesh that you need to renounce? What is the old way that causes you grief? Maybe it's because you're so fixated on whether you're black or white and you've made that your chief identity and and you're being affected by everything that influences the racial debate or maybe you've really embraced left or right in politics and that's really owning you now which way you feel you go in left or right in politics or maybe it's because you're desperately trying to be a hot guy or girl or maybe you're trying to desperately be a successful man or maybe it's because you want the world to view you as a great mum and anything that might look like the world not viewing you as a great mum as an attack on your identity. What are the things of the world that you are embracing that are causing you grief? What are the world and its desires that are causing you pain? Whatever those things are, renounce them for your true identity. You are Christ's. I am a child of God, saved by grace, included in Him for the praise of His glory, the life I live in the body. I live for Jesus who gave Himself for me, that is your identity if you're a Christian this morning. In that alone is their rest and peace. In that alone is their freedom from the world and its desires. Church, the truth is this. The more all in for Jesus you go, the more peace you will have. Conversely, the more you try to keep a foot in the world, the greater the decline of peace and joy you will have. When you can truly say, I'm a child of God, a citizen of heaven, I've died to the world, it has no hold on me, you will have peace and rest, free from the world and its desires, resting and joy in Jesus. That is our identity. That is what Christ offers. And I pray that's where you put your faith this morning. Let's pray. Lord, the truth and reality is modernity was completely wrong and false because it stood man up as being the answer to all of our problems. Postmodernity is wrong and false. It still stands man up as being the answer to all of our problems. The reality is we cannot save ourselves. But we praise you that Jesus, fully God and fully man, he came and he paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. That when we put our faith in you, we are born again as children of God justified, redeemed, and glorified by Jesus. Lord, you are the only answer. 
Lord, in this world where so many are getting damaged, so many are getting hurt, we think of children in particular facing these stresses and pressures from the world, Lord, and we pray that we would be faithful in sharing the good news, that there is freedom, there is rest, there is peace. It's not found in the world and its desires, but it's found in the cross of Christ. Lord, may we be faithful to that message. We pray in and through the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.